So, Pastor Tim and I, uh, several months ago, I talked about two open Sunday nights that we would have. And, uh, and he said that he was going to be preaching a, a message on uh, God's will. And God told me. And uh, I hope that you were here for that message. Uh, if you weren't, I would encourage you to go to our website uh, and listen to the uh, audio of that. Because he did a fantastic job of unpacking the whole concept of God told me in our culture. And, and just how uh, we oftentimes rely on saying those things uh, and the wrong impressions that it can uh, give to people that hear it. Uh, and sometimes even the wrong impressions that, that we as believers in Christ have. So I'm not going to uh, rehash much of that, but I want to take a slightly different angle on a very similar uh, concept. I think a uh, passage of Scripture that many of us here this evening would be uh, familiar with would be Psalm 119.105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And, and perhaps you've even heard a message that has challenged you to really think about the fact that, that God's will is, is not like a spotlight that illuminates every aspect and every detail of our future that he would have for us. I've recently said several times, I, I sometimes wish that that is what God did. It would sometimes make it easier if he would write it on the wall for us or write it in the clouds for us. But the reality is, is that throughout human history, when he's done that, it doesn't usually go well for us either. And so, so instead, God's word is, is a lamp that slowly and surely, as we're walking with him, leads, guides, and directs us. And as we go farther along in our walk with the Lord, it illuminates the next step for us. And so that's kind of, the, in general, the concept that we're going to be uh, exploring together tonight, is that uh, God's will, uh, as he illuminates it, his will for us through his word in our lives uh, is a day-by-day walk with the Lord in our lives. And so I've titled my message tonight, uh, Knowing God's Will for Everyone, which may seem a little little egotistical uh, on the surface that, well, Chad's going to tell everybody God's will for everyone. But it's not Chad that's sharing it. We're going to be looking at God's word and seeing, okay, God, what do you have for all of us? Uh, and so that's uh, the direction that we're going to be uh, going tonight, uh, and, and I'm going to lead us in prayer before we continue to do that. Let's pray. Father, we truly do thank you for your word, which is a light unto our feet. You guide us in our lives, and for that we are truly thankful. And Father, you've also given your Holy Spirit to empower us to know your will and to follow, and to lead, and be, be guided by him. He is our counselor, and Father, we desire to listen to him. So tonight we pray, Lord, that your word and your spirit would truly uh, illuminate our lives. As we explore the concept of your will for our lives, may we be uh, completely and utterly uh, solely focused on you and your will for us. That's our prayer tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So oftentimes teenagers get pigeonholed into this category because it's true, slightly, that, that they're, they're at this stage of their lives where they have all these questions. 
What is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do for my career? Where does he want me to go to school? Who does he want me to date? Should I be in this relationship? Should I be in this extracurricular activity? What should I be doing with my time? What ministries could I serve in? What, what is it that God wants for my life? But the reality is, is that us, as adults, are truly not that much different. We still, all of us, if we're truly honest with ourselves, have a lot of these kinds of questions in our lives. And, and, and oftentimes we, we try to go about pursuing the will of God uh, as if we really do want God to just tell me what uh, he would like me to do. And so tonight we're going to be looking uh, in the book of Second Peter. Uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 3. And I'm going to read the whole chapter for us, although we obviously do not have time to uh, study it verse by verse. Uh, and, and look in depth at everything that is in there. But that is going to be the main text that we're using tonight uh, as our launching pad. So uh, begin reading with me in Second in Peter chapter 3 in verse 1. This is now the second letter I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of, of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God, and that by means and by, and by means of these, the world that existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in, the lives, of, in, in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as the beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing these beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the peace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Our first point this evening is, is knowing God and, and understanding who he is. We can't address some of the big questions and the big issues that all of us face in life without a correct and proper understanding 
of who God is. And in, in, in this passage in 2 Peter, uh, Peter starts out by helping the people to understand that, that God truly has authority in their lives. And, and, and if we are truly going to be seeking after the will of God for our lives, we must start by first and fully understanding that God is the authority in our lives. Because ultimately, God's will for our lives doesn't matter if I don't truly believe he has authority in my life. You see, and, and when, uh, when referencing the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord, of Sa- Lord and Savior through your apostles, Peter is setting a foundation for his readers. That, that the prophets, the apostles, they're all uh, sharing their wisdom, not of themselves, but of God. Because God is the ultimate authority in our lives. And so when they share these things, we need to listen, not because they come from the words of prophets or the words of apostles, but because they rest upon the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God has authority as demonstrated through the apostles through the, and through the prophets because Jesus Christ is who he is. And he is who he said he is, and he will do what he said he will do. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And if we are looking for God's will, it must start with that proper understanding of who he is. But because we have a fallen, sinful nature, whenever there is an authority in our lives, we push back against it. So the world resists the, the, the writings of the prophets. The world resists the writings of the apostles. The Lord resists the words of Christ that are recorded for us. And it wants to push back against God having any say or any authority. But you and I who know Christ, you and I who love him, you and I who have been called and saved according to his grace should be the ones that are proclaiming that, that the authority of God's word, the, the, the apostles and the prophets, is all predicated upon the fact that Jesus is our Savior, and he has all authority. But we should not be surprised, as in verse 4 it says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all these things are, are continuing, just like from creation. There are always going to be people who are, who are saying, this isn't exactly what God said, because they're looking at it through the eyes where they're trying to disprove that God is genuine and real. There's going to be people in this world who desire to, to look to the Word and who look to the church and to look at other Christians, and, and the only intent and purpose that they have is to say that God is not real, so therefore he has no authority in my life. There are always going to be people who doubt and say, where is this promise? And nothing has changed since the creation of the world. And then some will be even worse than that. If you look at verse 5, it says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water. they'll They'll ignore the fact that God is our creator. And that because he is our creator, he has authority in our lives. And so you and I need to be the ones who proclaim that. God has authority as our creator. Because God made us and formed us, because, because God knows the, the number of hairs on our head, because God knows the number of days, he has authority in our lives. The fact that he is our creator and that everything was formed by the word of God means that, that we are then subject to him. We are the creation and he is the creator. This is establishing God as an authority in our lives. And in these arguments, that's... That's what Peter is establishing for us. Because God is our creator, 
He has authority in our lives. But then he also wants us to know more uh, about God. God is not just our creator, and people are going to deliberately overlook that fact. But it continues in verse 6 and says that, and that by means of these, the water, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The whole context of this passage of Scripture is that ultimately God is going to judge the world. Because he is the one who created it, because he is the authority in this world, because he has the power to oversee all that he uh, made, ultimately he is going to judge the sin in our world. And you and I need to understand that, and we need to be able to communicate to the world around us what that means, that God is ultimately our authority, and he will ultimately judge the world. It's his right as creator, and he will do it. And even beyond that, it continues in in verse 8. We're not going to get into all of the the theological contexts of it, but it's a popular verse that, you know, a day is like a thousand years in the eyes of the Lord that many are familiar with. With the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. I want us to see that, that besides the other nuances that are involved in that verse, that verse reminds us that God has authority over time. God is in control of our time. He's, in, he's numbered the days that we have on this earth. And he is ultimately in control and has authority over all time. He is the one who was in control of the past. He is the one who is in control of your present. He is the one who w- will be in control over your future. And all of these things establish that this is our God. And that's who we should know. Do you know the God who created the world? Do you know the God who is ultimately going to be the judge over all the world? Do you know the God who has authority over all the world and over all time? Do you know the one who, who gave us his word the, of the apostles and the prophets so that we could know him? Much of that first part of chapter 3 is helping us to know and to understand that as, Paul, as Peter's going to be making these final pleas and arguments... That, that he wants them to know that God has authority. But for me, when, I, when I'm studying this passage of Scripture, I think verse 11 is the hinge pin for this passage of Scripture. Because God is who he said he is, because he has the authority that, he has, that Peter has established for us, verse 11 tells us, since all these things are thus to be dissolved and he's going to judge, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for the hastening of the coming of the day of the Lord. What sort of people should we be? And this is primarily where I want us to spend most of our time because another way to say that is what sort of people should we be would be saying, what does God want from me in my life? What is God's will for Chad? What is God's will for you? What is God's will for your family? Because God is the authority. I should want to know, what does he want from me as his child? 
While I am waiting, while I am saying, come Lord Jesus soon, because I see all this brokenness in our world, and I see this lostness in our world, and, and I'm, I, I want to be with you, and I long to be with you in, in a perfect heaven, where I don't have to worry about all of this brokenness. But Lord, what should I be doing while I'm here and while I'm waiting? What is your will for us? And that brings me to my second point this, this evening. And it's just a simple little acronym, SOS. It's not really an, is that an acronym? It's an acronym. SOS. We're all familiar with it. Save our souls. It's like the universal distress signal. And But what I want us to think about this evening is when we're trying to find out what God's will for our lives is, I want us to think about these three words. Saved, obedient, and sanctified. SOS. But ultimately, because SOS is a distress call, first and foremost, I want it to be a reminder for us that we are completely and utterly dependent upon God in our lives. SOS should be a reminder for you and I that because we're asking God, what is your will for my life? I am acknowledging his ultimate authority in my life. But too often, I think when we're, when we're really asking what's God's will for my life, I think we're approaching it not from a matter of I'm being completely dependent upon God, but, but God, because I think I'm special, because I think I'm important, because I think I have value in your kingdom, show me what you want me to do. But we need to come at God's will for our lives in a matter of complete and utter dependence, not with any kind of expectation, not with any kind of false pride, and not with any kind of, of desire to think more of ourselves than we ought. And so you and I need to be utterly and completely dependent upon God. And, and so let's begin then to, uh, to look then at verse 13, where Paul says, But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and earth, and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. According to his promise is again a statement of, okay, God, I, I, I want to know how I should wait, but I want to know how I should wait according to what your word says, according to the promise. So, so let's begin to look at some of these concepts that I've shared and, and that we'll see in this passage of Scripture. And the first one is S, saved. Verse 9 says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is one of the most beautiful passages, verses of Scripture in the world, that God wants everyone to come to know him. It is proof that our God is so loving and gracious that he wants all to come to him. There is no one in this world who is outside and beyond the grace of God. And we need to know and to understand that completely and fully. That there is no one who is outside of God's grace. He wants everyone to come to know him. 
So if we're trying to think, okay, what is God's will? God's will is then that everyone would come to know him. But there are people in this world who are going to shake their hands at God and say, God, I want nothing to do with you. I want to have nothing to do with your love. I want to have nothing to do with your grace. I want nothing to do with the forgiveness that you offer me through the cross of Christ. But God wants them to come. And that's why he has done everything necessary to accomplish their salvation. But even people who, who want nothing to do with the salvation of God, they want nothing to do with his plan for the, 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 the reconciliation of a relationship with him, people who want nothing to do with that will still ask the question, but what's God's will for my life? Well, it has to start first and foremost with God's will for your life is that you would know him as Savior. Because unless you do, you will only know him as judge. And that's not what God wants for you. So we need to make sure that we help people to understand that God's will for everyone is that they would be saved. John MacArthur uh, has a quote that reads like this, You can't even enter into the category of experiencing God's will if you're not saved. It only belongs to those that are saved. If you are not going to enter into it, in, if you are not going to enter into faith in Jesus Christ, you aren't even capable of knowing or experiencing the will that God has for those who are saved. You can't even enter into the category of experiencing God's will if you're not saved. I like how he says that because there's so many people who are desperately saying, God, tell me what you want me to do. And he's made it very clear. He wants us to repent to understand our brokenness, to understand our sinfulness, to realize there's nothing that we can do on our own to please him and to turn to him for forgiveness and salvation which he offers us at the cross of Calvary. And if we can't understand that, then we can't continue on asking what God's will is for our lives. And this isn't the only place that scriptures tell us this. First, First Timothy 2.4 says that God who, who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth in the context of praying for our leaders and, and pursuing righteousness and godliness and righteous living, he says uh, that, that we, should, uh, we should pray to the Lord who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That is God's heart and desire for our lives. That is God's heart and desire for your neighbors. That is God's heart and desire and his will for those who he's placed in your life. He wants them to be saved. Perhaps he's put you there so that can happen. That's what God wants. He wants people to be saved. 1 John 2.17 also says, And the world is passing away with long, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And another passage that's, that's talking about how God's going to judge the world and he's going to wipe out wickedness, ultimately. But that's not what he wants. He wants those who know the will of God, and he wants them, and they will abide forever. They will dwell forever with him. Our God is a loving God, and his will is that people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and turn to him. That is God's desire for everyone. S, saved, O, obedient. You see, you and I cannot find our ultimate satisfaction in this world because it will never satisfy. But when we are saved... God wants us to be obedient. He wants us to walk in the knowledge of the truth that he has revealed to us. 
God wants you and I, after we have come to know Christ as our Savior, to walk in obedience with him. But unfortunately, you and I, we, we don't always desire to do that. But, but God's will is that we would walk with him in all holiness and righteousness. John Piper is a very fond of uh, quoting that the human heart is an idol factory, a quote from John Calvin. And, and, and I think that is absolutely a, a true statement about the, the nature of who we are as fallen, sinful human beings. We can make an idol out of anything. And in fact, I think sometimes in Christian circles, we, in, we make an idol out of finding God's will. I think sometimes you and I, we, we make an idol of, of finding God's will for our lives and we ask all these specific pointed questions about what God would want me to have for breakfast. Maybe we don't go that far. But we, we, we want these specific details of what God would want us to do. But the reality is that what God wants is for you and I to have a relationship with him that can only happen through Christ. And then when we have that relationship, he wants us to walk in obedience with him. We're busy asking about our idols of, of work and, and money and relationships and, and satisfaction in this world. But what God wants for us is to walk in obedience with him. Kevin DeYoung in his increasingly uh, more popular uh, a book about finding God's will for your life that I give away frequently uh, to graduates says this, we've assumed that we'll experience heaven on earth. And then we get disappointed when earth seems so unheavenly. You see, part of what we want for God's will is to, to we want to find God's will, but we only want to find it in the things that we think are going to bring us joy and happiness and fulfillment. So I ask questions about about the good things that I should do. And I, and I, and I think, okay, how, how should God's will apply in that situation? Failing to understand that, that God's will in, in any and every situation is that I would be obedient to him. Pastor Tim, as he was preaching through uh, the book of Ephesians, when he was in Ephesians chapter 5 in verses 18 and 19, which to remind you say this, and, to, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing another, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. God wants us, and, and he unpacked for us how, how God wants us to be filled with the Spirit and not to be filled with, with those other things in life that, that, that we oftentimes turn to. God wants us to be obedient in those areas. And that can only happen when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're walking in the Spirit, when we're allowing God to lead, to guide, and direct us through the power of his Holy Spirit, which dwells in us. And ultimately, I think when we see a passage of Scripture like that, we need to ask the question, what is going to control me? What is going to control you? Is my fallen, sinful human nature and the natural desires that I may have going to control me? Or am I going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? What am I willing to give ultimate power and authority in my life? Is it truly God? If so, then I need to be filled with the Spirit and walking with Him daily. I think it's interesting in that word filled, the Greek word that is used for, that's translated filled or filling there, Throughout scripture, here are some other uses of that word. Fear, worry, lust, anger, 
sorrow, rage, bitterness, envy. And so Paul is, is, is asking the Ephesians, what do you want to be filled with? Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? Or do you want to be filled with all that other nonsense? You and I are called to obedience. When we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're supposed to have nothing to do with all of those other things. There's not supposed to be even a hint of those things in our lives. But unfortunately, that's not always the way that you and I operate. You see, I'm, I, I use an illustration with the teens when we're talking about sin that I think helps me to understand how this, this, this being drawn to sin works, and, and, but instead we need to be called to righteous living and obedience. You see, if sin is like a campfire, oftentimes we try to get as close as we can to the flames of that sin without burning our fingers. We might reach in and play with it a little bit. and I mean, I don't want to get burned by sin because that would be bad. And so we play around campfire of sin all, a lot of times in our lives. But what we don't always understand and think about is that when we come in at the end of an evening from sitting at a campfire roasting marshmallows, what do you smell like? Smoke. When you play around by fire, even if you don't get into the fire and get burned, many times we, we walk away from that smelling like smoke. And sometimes as Christians, I think that's what we, we struggle with. We, we, we understand we should be obedient, so I, I don't, I don't want to play with that fire. But we forget that when, when we're playing around close to fire, oftentimes we begin to look like the world, we begin to smell like the world, and we begin to allow that sin to impact us. And to everyone else around us, they're like, wow, you stink like smoke. God wants us to not have a hint of those things in our lives. He wants us to be pleasing to him in the way that we walk, in the way that we uh, talk, in all of the things that we do should be upright and pointing to him. That's what God desires from us. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And I am not suggesting that complete obedience is a litmus test for someone's salvation. That would be legalism. However, if you are examining your life and there is absolutely no desire to be obedient and to walk with God, I think you need to examine your own salvation. God's will for everyone is that they are saved. And that, that knowledge of coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior will impact every aspect and area of our lives. And if there's no desire to walk in obedience to the Spirit in your life, then we all should ask the question, is the Spirit truly in me? Is the Spirit in you? So we're saved, we, we need to be walking in obedience. But the beauty of this is the last S is, is sanctified. Although we know what God calls us to, although we know when we are a child of God how we should walk, we also know that we struggle with a fallen, sinful 
flesh. And although we desire to obey, we must grow in these areas of obedience and continue to make war against the sinful human nature that is in us. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 6 say this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrongs his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, as we told you before and solemnly warned you. You and I need to, to know and to understand that, that God desires us, he wills in us our sanctification, our ability to grow in godliness, our ability to grow in, in, in our obedience to the, the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is what God wills for us. In verse 14 of 2 Peter says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. He wants us to, to be walking in uprightness with him, to be, to be diligent, to be found in him without spot or blemish. That's God's will for everyone. When they come to know Christ as their Savior, his desire is that they would walk daily with him in complete obedience Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual, spiritual songs with thanksgiving, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. God's will is that, that his word would dwell in us so richly that it would cause us to, to be able to do what it says there, to be diligent, to be found in him without spot or blemish, to be fully Immersed in God's word. To be completely immersed in God's word. That it would dwell in us richly. Without a hint of the world. And when we forget that God's will is our sanctification. It's so easy to let the world creep in. And when the world creeps in. Sometimes we'll, we'll get stuck in the obedience. As a, as a means to please God. We think well if I'm obedient then I'm going to please God. That's, that's a way that the world creeps in. Or sometimes the world creeps into our sanctification process by saying, well, I don't want to be legalistic, so I don't have to obey God. What God desires is, is as we're trying to walk in obedience, we're growing in this process of sanctification each and every day for, of our lives. We should be having uh, an increasing desire for the, the word of God in our lives. And an increasing desire to be away from what the world offers us. And verse 14 gives us the reward of this as well. <laughs> because God is, is desiring of us as we wait for him to be diligent, to be found by him without spot or blemish. Verse 14 says, and at peace. God wants us to know him, to be walking in uprightness with him, to be growing in our character of godliness because of the Holy Spirit that's in us. And when we do that, you and I can have a peace that passes understanding. You and I can have a peace that helps us to know who he truly is. We can have a peace of knowing that we are fully and completely dependent upon God. 
And we can have a peace that, that this is his will for our lives. And so what I really want us to think about this evening is that when you and I are caught up in, in thinking about all of the de- details of our lives, there's a reason that we're told to not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own. God simply wants us to walk every day with him. God simply wants us to be dependent upon him to get us through the trials that we're facing. God wants us to be dependent upon him as we're going through these things. And you and I can completely, honestly, and truthfully say to everyone that we come in contact with, God's will is that that you would be saved, that you would be able to walk in obedience to him, and that you would continue to grow in your godliness. Because even though his desire is for us to be completely obedient, we're still fighting our fallen sinful human nature. And the grace of God is sufficient to cover all of those things, past, present, and future in our lives. So don't get hung up on saying, oh God, I wish you would just tell me this. And then, well, yeah, I'm doing this because God told me to do it. We should instead be saying, okay, God, what do I know definitively that your word tells me to do? I know that these things are true. I know that there are so many other things in this book that you have commanded of me. Help me to seek them out. Help me to know them. Help me to walk in obedience to them. Because verse 18 is also true. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. God wants us continually walking and growing in our knowledge of who he is. In our knowledge and understanding of what his grace truly means in our lives. And that is God's will for you. And that is God's will for me. Just a few seconds, we're going to have uh, the team come up and close us in a, in a hymn that we oftentimes don't sing regularly, day by day. But as, as you're singing these words, really be thinking about the fact that this is God's will for you. That day by day, you would be walking with him. That his word would be a lamp unto your feet, illuminating the path to be a light to you as you walk down the paths of life. And yes, sometimes it would be great if you would just shine that spotlight and say, this is where I want you to be 20 years from now. But instead, God wants us to walk with him through these moments and through these days to be dependent upon him and to demonstrate our faith and our love for our Savior each and every day. And that is what's going to cause us to have peace in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that you have done everything necessary to accomplish our salvation. And that even as we are saved, you give us so much more. The power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to lead, to guide, and to direct. Father, as we desire to ask what is your will for our lives, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that you want us all to be saved. And if we're not, we need to turn to you. And Father, for those of us who do know Christ, you want us to be obedient and to be growing in this process of sanctification, to be growing in this knowledge of who you are, to be growing in our understanding of your grace in our lives, to be growing in our uh, desire to live a life that is without spot or blemish for you. But Father, even in that, we know that we are broken and flawed and sinful, and we cannot do that 
without the power of your Holy Spirit living in us. So help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to be dependent upon the Spirit. And help us, Lord, as we're asking, what is your will? I pray that you'd help us to always turn to your revealed will that we find in your word, your truth given to us by the apostles and prophets that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And it will never fail us because it is your word. Help us, Lord, to always turn to that and to turn to you in all of our questions. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.